First Chronicles chapter 22. I want to begin reading with verse number verse number 5 and I want to read all the way down through about verse 10. And David said to Solomon, "My son is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. Old way of saying magnificent. Of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. First Chronicles 22, looking at verse 6. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build him a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever." So we just want to talk about building God a glorious house. Building a glorious house for God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your word is true. It speaks to us clearly. And now for the next few moments as we settle our hearts and our minds to be able to meditate on your word, we pray that you help me to speak clearly. Speak directly to each one of us. Give us ears to hear. And I pray that through this word, we'll grow in grace and in knowledge. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. King David was one of the more popular figures of the Old Testament. And we understand that the life that he lived was fraught with all kinds of pains and travail. As you can see, somewhere before he died, this man was thinking about the house of God. In verse 1 of the same chapter, it tells us so. But then in verse 2, you can see where he commanded all of the foreigners of the country to be gathered together so that they could labor in the building of God's house. And in verse 3, he prepared iron in abundance and all kinds of nails that would be used to hold the boards and this facility together. He also gathered cedar trees in abundance. People brought them from the different countries so that he would have what was necessary to build God's house, to build the Lord a house. But his confession about his son, as you can see in verse 5, was that Solomon was young and tender. He did not believe this was a task that Solomon could accomplish. 
he thought that Solomon, being essentially a babe in daddy's eyes, that he would not be able to fulfill the assignment given to him. People think that oftentimes about uh, some folks. They think they're too young to be able to do what's in the heart of the Father. But it doesn't really matter. If God's helping someone, they can get it done. In this case, David's scheme was so grand that according to verse 5, he wanted a home built for the Lord that was so great that it would be the talk of the nations. It was a man that wanted a church that would be so beautiful that everybody who passed by would talk about it. Now, we don't typically think like that today. We don't always say we want to build a church building that would be the envy of other people. There are people who are interested in those things. They want to make sure the windows are absolutely beautiful. They may spend six or $7,000 per stained glass window. Some people want specific lights and chandeliers so that when you come into the, the foyer or into the actual sanctuary that you're impressed. This is what was on David's heart. He wanted something that would be on a very grand scale. And the last sentence of verse 5 says, David prepared abundantly before his death. That tells me this man was a saver. This man, at least he did think first about the kingdom of God. There are other kings that did what they could later on to set aside the worship of God. But for David, the worship of God was important. Remember when they brought the ark in, how it says he danced in the presence of the Lord in the, in the, in the eyes of all the people. We know that David was a sweet psalmist of Israel. He wrote music that the children of Israel could sing at various feasts. This was a man that thought about God. And so even though we may think there's a bit of vanity in his heart when it came to the building of the building, let's not forget that his heart was to please God. He wanted God to have the best. And I think that is something we all should strive for, we should learn from. There are some people that want God to go second class, and they'd rather have God work with the least rather than with the most and with the best. But when we think about things in connection with God, we, like David, should do as he did, and that is make preparations. That's what David did. He prepared abundantly. But obviously this wasn't the plan of God that David would be the one to build the tabernacle. So when he called for his son, he charged his son, I want you to build God a house. I don't know how old Solomon was. Commentators have never agreed on his age, but let's say he was somewhere from 13 to 18, a young man in the eyes of many elderly people at that time, but certainly a young man old enough to be a husband in some aspects of the community. But the scripture tells us he's received a charge, and that charge is great, very great for a young man. Build, build God a house, a house that would please him, a place where he can be worshipped. And you can see from verse 7, David said to his son, he said, look, it was in my mind to do it. He said, I intended to do this. But you know as well as I do that there are a lot of roads in life that are paved with good intentions. 
And just because you have a grand intention, that does not mean you're going to accomplish it. You can have a lot in your heart that you want to do, but may not see it done during your lifetime. It doesn't mean it won't be completed, but it could very well mean that it's a task that'll be completed by someone else. And David said, in my mind, I had it to build the house for the Lord. So I've been thinking about this for some time. God has been in my thoughts and that's important. What did the scripture say about our mind? It tells us that God will give perfect peace to the one whose mind is stayed on God. The scripture also tells us that we should think on things that are pure and holy and lovely. But all David wanted to do was build a house of worship for the name of his Lord. Why do we build churches? Why are buildings dedicated to God? It's important to think about that. From time to time, Christians need to be reminded of what a church is all about. You build a building for worship. I realize that there are a whole lot of places where you can go into the basement of the church and on Tuesday night or Thursday night, they'll have bingo night. And you know, bingo night might be fun, but surely you've got to know the primary purpose for which the building was erected. It's not bingo. People build a building so that God could be worshiped. So there are all kinds of secondary things that people very often make primary. But at the end of it all, when we go to the house of God, we go to worship the king. We go to hear God's word. They gathered together on the Lord's day and somebody would read out of the scriptures and then proclaim who Jesus Christ was. Why have you gone to church all your life? Why did your mom and dad raise you in church? Why did your grandparents carry you to church? Was it just for a social thing? Did they take you to church because they just wanted you to have a place to be plugged in to other adults or other children? Or did they bring you to church because they honestly wanted you to come to know God? Did they want you to engage in worship? David said, it was in my mind to build God a house. I wanted to be actively involved with it. I set aside the funds for it. I made sure that I, I hired the people for it. I wanted to be the general contractor who would be initiating it and then bringing it to pass. That was my role, David said. But he said, Solomon, I don't think I'm gonna be able to fulfill this and I need you to step up to the plate. I wonder if Solomon felt pride at dad giving him a task like this. I wonder if this man was excited about the fact he had an opportunity to prove himself as a king's son. When God talks to us and God speaks to us, do we do what God has told us to do so we can demonstrate that we also trust and have confidence in him? I think it was Jesus who said, when I return, will I find faith? in the earth. Have you done everything God's told you to do? Have you completed the task that God has placed at your feet? When God has spoken to you about helping some person who's passing through a difficult time, do you just do it for a season? Or are you the kind of a person that will take upon this obligation until they pass away? Or is it just for a season? I remember a, a lady told me one time when 
Dr. Sutton's first wife was still alive. I think maybe the last eight or nine years of her life, this lady Mary told me she felt like God spoke to her heart and told her to look after Joanne until she died. That meant that when they traveled, very often this lady Mary went with them to look after them. And when they were in town, she'd come over when she wasn't traveling, doing ministry with her own husband. And she'd just kind of look after Joanne and make sure she had the things that she needed. She felt like God put that on her heart. I think it was, I think it was Albert that told me one time that his, his mom for many years uh, cleaned the church there that she attended decades faithfully going in there and cleaning the church. Never complained, never wanted anything. Now you think about that. Week after week goes by. People have all kinds of things going on in their life. Church people aren't always the clean, cleanest people. But nevertheless, somebody gets up and takes time out of their schedule, whether it's looking after their family, looking after other particular responsibilities, and they go just to continue doing what they believe the king put upon their heart. Could you be like that? Could you be the kind of person that's faithful enough to fulfill the assignment that you believe God has imposed upon your heart. This man said, I'm building it unto the name of the Lord. Paul said, whatsoever you do, do unto the name of the Lord. So whatever job you have, do it in the name of the Lord. God's looking over your shoulder. He pays attention to what you're doing. Even if you don't like your fellow employees and you don't like the person who's employing you, you can think about the fact that it's God that has provided you this opportunity to have income. And so pay attention to how he is watching you. That's what David had in mind here. He said in verse eight, he said, I can't finish this Solomon because the word of the Lord came to me. You can see God speaks. He spoke then, he speaks now. The word of the Lord came to David. The word of the Lord can also come to you. And when God's word comes to you, we are all responsible to act upon what he has said. Don't disobey God once he has spoken to you clearly. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham went and prayed for a king and the ladies in the the, the uh, palace were then allowed to have children again. The word of the Lord came to Moses over and over again, and Moses declared what God said. It's not always easy doing what God tells you to do, but I can tell you this, there's always a blessing on the other side of obedience. Sometimes you'll feel like you're being circumcised and God's taking you through a crushing place like Gethsemane. You'll feel like you're an olive that's being pressed, but out of that olive comes oil that's useful. You got to be willing for that. Everybody likes the fragrance of roses, but who wants to go through the process of crushing in order for it to yield forth that beautiful fragrance? And if our life is going to produce the sweet smelling savor that God wants from us, we have to be willing to hear the word of the Lord, fulfill the word of the Lord. David said, God told me I, my hands have been involved with too much bloodshed. I've made great wars. Now, it's interesting that God would say this to him. Some of these wars that David was involved with were wars that came to him because he was following God. 
And now God comes along and says, because you were involved with warfare, I'm not going to let you build me a house. Let's not forget when David was a young man, he was a shepherd boy. He had fought bears and lions. And then the man of God anointed him with oil. The very next chapter, he's got to fight Goliath. Young man. But if you think Goliath was a problem, he handled Goliath just like that. You go to the next chapter, then he's got to wrestle with Saul. And for years he had to deal with Saul. One war after another with this king. God used Goliath as merely a stepping stone to prepare him for the long war that existed between the house of Saul and the house of David, the flesh and the spirit battling against one another. And then because of David's iniquity and sin, he fought great battles in his own house. His own children rose up and fought him. David said to Solomon, because of my life, because of the warfare, God is not going to let me build him a house. And so you are going to have to be the one to do it because these hands, your father's hands, have taken the lives of too many people. Imagine having a dad that could testify to that. Ancient times were brutal. Surely the strongest people survived. If you've ever read the books of the Kings and the Chronicles, then obviously you know that there was always contention, conspiracy, and jealousy between sons of kings and other kings. But David had made it 40 years on that throne, and he's now passing down a word from the Lord to his son, and he gives him the word in verse 9. He says, A son shall be born to you, David. He'll be a man of rest. I wonder what David thought about that. David spent a lot of years running from Saul, as I said. He spent a lot of months hiding in caves and writing music in the middle of the night, in the moonlight. And then to give birth to a son, and God speaks to this man about rest when he could barely even have a good night's sleep because he was worrying about where the enemy was. It's nice to have an occasion a newborn comes along, puts a smile on people's face. And moms and dads love those babies and those little ones. But who was it that told me one time that the amazing thing about some kids is that when they're small, they step on your toes, but when they're older, they step on your heart. See, This man looked at Solomon and knew this little baby was going to be special because the Lord said, I will give him rest from all his enemies. Doesn't every parent want their children to experience something they haven't experienced? David has spent his life in warfare and bloodshed with bows and arrows and spears and swords and thousands of people have died. He has been to who knows how many funerals and stood over his men and had to say wonderful words in a eulogy. But now God says, you're going to have a boy, and this boy is going to be different. He won't be a warrior like you, David. He's going to have peace with his enemies. Well, that's what, as I said, parents want for their kids. If you struggled when you first got married, if your kids are going to struggle, you probably want them to have different ones than you had. Yeah, it's true. If you experienced lack at some, port, at some point in your life, that is not what you're wanting for your kids. 
You wanted them to have a less disturbed life. Nothing wrong with that. I think every parent has prayed that way and everyone should. I remember one time hearing of a man who was an alcoholic and when his son was born, he held that boy in his arms in that hospital and all he did was cry. He just couldn't do anything but cry. He said he cried more than the baby. And they were wondering what was wrong with him and he said, here I was, an alcoholic, and I didn't want my baby to be what I was, but I didn't know anything about how to keep him from becoming what I was. Think about that. Held him in his arms and just wept. Said, Father, this isn't the path that I want for my son. I don't want him to be what I am. But God said of Solomon, his name will be Solomon. In another place, he's called Jedidah, the gift of God or given of God. And he said, I'll give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. Now, I would suppose peace and quietness would, would have sounded good to anybody who had been raised under David's reign. Because if all you've known is warfare, I mean, think about it. Anybody who's been raised in America since, oh, I, I'd say going back to about 97, 98, which would mean they, they, they started recognizing things taking place in this nation around 2001, 2002, when they were four or five. Anybody would know there's been a lot of tension and strife in America. Had 911. How many people turned the television on, saw the towers going down? They're absolutely horrified at what they saw. Then the invasion of Iraq and looking at what took place with Saddam Hussein, finding him in one of those spider holes, and then some soldier pulling him up and saying, we bring regards from President Bush after they captured him. And to think of all of the bombings of our people overseas the bombings that have taken place here, the murders that have occurred because of Islamic radicals, and then to think of the warfare on the basis, our people going overseas. Some have been overseas for 20 years. Some have been in Afghanistan and Syria even longer. It has been a period where multitudes of families can claim to have a family member or somebody who's gone overseas into battle. A lot of them didn't make it home. Many of them did. Many of them did. And so it would be nice for mothers and fathers and grandparents to have a period of ease. Well, if you think it's difficult for us, what do you think natural Israel has lived through in the last 50 years? With policemen walking up and down the streets and riding on the buses. And some of the people that live in these Middle Eastern countries where you have Hamas and Hezbollah and the Muslim Brotherhood and all of these folks that are blowing up people and abducting Christians and murdering them and raping Christian women and all kinds of things. Anybody is looking for some modicum of peace today, just a little bit. David said concerning Solomon, he'll build a house for my name. That's going to be his role. Now, Solomon did a lot of other things, but this is what he's supposed to do. And he said, he'll be my son and I'll be his father, so there'll be a relationship and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, I like verse 11. The Lord be with you and prosper you. David knows that Solomon can't accomplish any of this without the presence of God and without 
the abundance of God. If God doesn't bring into his life some form of plenty, there's no way he's going to build God a house that's going to be glorious. God wanted beautiful stuff. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and the first thing he did was he said, everything you took off the Egyptians before you left, I want you to bring it as an offering and build me a nice tabernacle. And he said, here's how I want you to build it. I want these kinds of skins, these kinds of metals. God wanted to make sure the people participated in the process of giving. And David said, God give you wisdom and understanding to keep the law of God. So I think every young person needs to know that, needs to hear that. We need to keep God's word. If we keep God's word, blessing comes to us. If we disobey God's word, other things come other than blessings. You can live a cursed life or you can live a blessed life. So every little kid that comes into this world has an opportunity or several opportunities presented to them. Do I want to adhere to God's word? and go God's way, or do I want to do my own thing? Well, there is a way that seems right unto you. But the Bible says that pathway, though it may look good, said at the end of it, there's a sign that says death. But if you go God's way, there's nothing but life there. We've all chosen, I suppose, I hope, we've all chosen to go God's way and to follow the perfect path of peace because he he made it very plain that in that path, and if we pursue it, that God will give us the desires of our heart. Solomon, don't turn from what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm commanding you because this is the word of the Lord. But then taking this in a different direction, you can also see why this is important for us as Christians because it's in Matthew where Jesus was saying that the queens of the south, the queen of the south came to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of Solomon from his lips. But Jesus said a greater than Solomon is here right now. And where it says in verse number eight, He shed a whole lot of blood. I can tell you one thing about the son of David. The spiritual battles and the warfare that he was in was different. Colossians tells us he spoiled the powers and principalities. So that now when you battle against the adversary, you are resisting him by your faith. It is not a flesh and blood battle that you have. You don't need an arrow. You don't need a bow, a spear, a spear. You don't need a gun. All you need is your faith in God. When the devil comes into your life and he says, look, I'm going to attack you and you're going to die a horribly slow death with a disease, you stand on God's word and do like Paul said to Timothy, be faithful unto death as long as there's breath in your body. Keep trusting God. It's the warfare. This wasn't the kind of warfare that anybody was ashamed of. Jesus engaged in this. He cast out devils. He healed the sick. He preached the gospel of repentance and people turned from their iniquity. And in verse 9, where it says of Solomon, I will give him rest, that is something only Jesus can give. He says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, come unto me all ye labor and they're heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you're discouraged and disturbed and worried and anxious, Come to Christ. 
He's the one that can settle your heart and your mind so that you can have a good night's sleep. The Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. A lot of people don't sleep well at all. Some people don't sleep at all. They'll tell you, I wrestle with insomnia and my heart is going in different directions and I can't ever seem to, to calm down and I'm so nervous. But, but, but Christ gives us rest if we put, our, put all of our possessions and everything in his hands. I'm glad about that. We know what Solomon's name means. It means peaceable. We know that it's connected with peace. God has spoken plenty of times in the Bible about people's names. We know the name Noah means comfort. We know that Abram meant exalted. We know that Abraham means father of many nations. We know that Moses means someone drawn up, is taken up out of that river. We understand that, that names in the Bible can be absolutely essential. When Jesus was born, we know that his name means salvation, just like the name Joshua. And if Solomon's name meant peace and he was going to experience peace, then you can understand why greater than Solomon, like Jesus, has a name of salvation and he himself experienced it. But notice, it tells us that the last part of verse 9, I'll give peace and quietness to Israel. Again, I think all the folks were quite happy to have Solomon on the throne. Not that they didn't like David, but they were quite happy to have somebody that wasn't as hot-tempered as David was. Solomon was much more interested in diplomacy in the ancient way. If it looked like you weren't getting along with the king, then Solomon simply said, look, I don't want you to think that I'm going to go to war with you, so why don't you give me one of your daughters and I'll marry her? Then that'll be proof that we're all one family. I mean, any man has a thousand wives and concubines. I mean, he believes in diplomacy and not war. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, not a whole lot of men got that many women in their life that want to fight. But, but this man, Solomon, the rest that came from his decisions was enjoyed by the greater population of Israel. So now that I'm united with Jesus Christ, I'm in union with Christ by my faith in his shed blood, I have peace in my heart and rest also. So the church is able to enjoy this because we are connected to him that is the Prince of Peace. I'll give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he'll build a house. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock, I'll build my church. To put it another way, upon this rock, I'll build God's house. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Paul said it was a glorious church, a glorious house of God. Solomon built something made of stone and had some wood and other things involved with it. But God took people like you and me and he made his house out of clay. We have a treasure in earthen vessels that in a body like this that gets older with each day. The follicles of our hair turn colors. Body parts reshaped over time. 
But God cares enough about you and about me to come and dwell inside this physical body. And when he wants to release his life, he's able to quicken that mortal frame. You can have somebody with a withered hand. You can have somebody with leprosy. And the life of God can be released and that hand can open right up. That skin can be cleaned. I love the time that Billy Graham was being interviewed about divine healing. And they were trying to basically get him to say something against it. This was back during the days when uh, he traveled in the 40s and 50s and occasionally he'd take a few pictures with some of the leaders of the Voice of Healing movement. But they asked him one time if he believed that somebody that had a wrist with their hand amputated or something like that, if, if that could be healed. And Mr. Graham said to them people, he said, well, here's what I do know. A lot I don't know, but here's what I do know. The same DNA that's in that human that put that hand on that arm the first time is still in that body. And it's just simply waiting on someone greater than it to tell it to put that hand back there again. See, so when you think about God and his ability the natural mind says that organ cannot recreate itself. They say that organ cannot grow and be restored. But if someone greater than that organ speaks a word, something happens. Something happens. That's how powerful, how powerful God is. So he's built a glorious church. Jesus has come and established it. And we know from the book of Hebrews that his throne, his kingdom is established forever. A billion years from now, Jesus will still reign. God the Father will still reign. God the Holy Ghost will still reign. So if we follow him and stay close to him, like he says in verse 11, the Lord be with you. And as Jesus made it very plain, I'll be with you, uttermost parts of the earth. I'll never leave you. Isn't it good to have somebody with you no matter, no matter where you go? Absolutely. Uh, back in the late 19-teens, like 16, 17, 18, 19, a gentleman named H.B. Garlock was in Bible school one day. He was praying, Beulah Heights Bible College, and he saw in a vision a big, huge mountain. Looked like the devil standing on that mountain. And he saw a sea of black faces all around. He said those people running up on that mountain. And the devil was taking them one by one and tossing them over the cliff. Just throwing them over the cliff. And he said he was crying out in that dream or vision. He's saying in himself, but he could hear himself talking. Oh, God, isn't there somebody that could tell him? And he said, he heard a voice and said, would you go and let these people know? And of course, he said, God, you tell me and show me, then I'll go. Well, in 1920, he and his sister Blanche boarded a steamer or ship, made their way to Liberia. Terrible place to go back in the 20s. Nothing modern, no conveniences of any kind. But sure enough, they, they, they got out there and started going to these villages. They ended up in one village 
that already had buried more than 22 Pentecostal missionaries because of sickness and disease. But here they were, back out there again as a new team. So they got to the little town and they had a big juju that was there. Juju is a big, huge mound made of dung and all kinds of other stuff, just huge. But the people worship these mounds like they're gods, thinking that they're very protective. It's like if you go to a Chinese restaurant, sometimes you'll see outside these Chinese restaurants these big huge shishi dogs or these statues. Well, Chinese people that believe in those kind of things, they'll put those out there for good fortune. And that's kind of what these big mounds of juju were. And they said, the missionaries told the chiefs, it's not right for you to have this stuff here. It's disrespectful to the missionaries that are living here in the area trying to help you. He said, well, these represent our gods and our gods are strong. And if you say your God is strong or demonstrating, we'll get rid of the jujus. But until then, we don't want to hear any more stories about Elijah calling down fire if you can't help us said, your Jesus supposedly heals lepers. We've got lepers all over the place here. You said he opens the eyes of the blind. Look how many blind people there are in this village. We'll keep on worshiping our ancestors and our ancestors' gods. Well, Mr. Garlock and his team went to prayer, fasted a little bit, mastered Mark 16 as best as they could. And he said that one day they came in there and they heard in the village all this wailing and screaming and shouting. These ladies were wailing because a lady had died. So they went to call on the lady at the hut and the other people to see her. And they got there and they were getting ready to carry her out for burial because out there they just took the body, put it on a mound and left it for the vultures and the wild animals to come and devour the carcass. But he said when he got there, he looked, he said he noticed the, the lady's chest was moving. She was barely breathing. And he said, how can you take this woman out to, 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 to let her just be buried and to be devoured by the animals? They said, well, by the time we get her to the hill, she'll be dead anyhow. Well, he said, if we call on our God and we pray to our God and our God raises this woman up from near death, would you remove that juju hill and believe that our God is stronger? They said, if your God raised up that woman, we'll believe it. So sure enough, they stood over that lady, rebuked death. He said he was terrified when he did it, said he didn't even think he had the faith to even say it, but he just said, God, the faith of the Son of God has to come in me. And he stood over and rebuked death, and he said they turned and walked away. They took that lady back to the hut. Brother Garlock came down with a fever that he didn't go out of his hut for a week. But when he went back, he visited that lady's husband and said, how's your wife? He said, she's in another village shopping right now. Your God healed her. And so they all gathered outside that village, set that dung hill on fire, said when they did, they heard voices coming out of that that dung hill, spiritual voices screaming and yelling in agony and said, people were running out of the village and what are you doing? We're gonna be poisoned, we're gonna die, you're killing our God. And the chief said, if our God isn't strong enough to defend himself, we have no need of worshiping that God. The final thing I'd tell you is, they told Brother Godlock, there's a mountain around here where the devil lives and we're all afraid to go. When he heard about it, he said, take me there. They said, oh no, there's no way we're going anywhere near that. That's a mountain where people go and nobody ever returns. 
Brother Garlock said, you don't have to worry, I'll make it back. He said they led him out there so many miles to that big, huge mountain. And he said the closer he got, he noticed that the people leading him were dropping back further and further in the rear, just behind him, letting him do all the walking as they stayed back in. Finally, they stopped. Brother Garlock said he got to the foot of that hill. There was a very ascent, a deep ascent. And he said he looked up there and he said he climbed up there. He said he could feel the evil, awful presence of the devil. But he said he walked up there, stood up there. He wanted everybody to know that the devil couldn't harm him at all. But he said while he was up there, he thought to himself, I know I've seen this place before. Then he remembered the vision that he had years before in Bible college and that God had showed him this mountain and that this mountain was the thing that brought him to where he was in West Africa. When he came down from the hill, all the villagers were standing outside of their residences, outside the little village there. And they said, we believe that when you went up in that hill, that obviously the devil took off and ran from the white man. So we think we need to go ahead and accept this wonderful savior, Jesus. Can you imagine a whole region changing because God spoke to somebody on the other side of the planet in a prayer meeting and all he wanted to do was lead some folks to Christ. Whatsoever you do, do in the name of the Lord. God's building a glorious church. It may not be the prettiest thing right now, but I can promise you in the spiritual realm, it's a glorious church. It's a beautiful church. And one day we'll get to heaven and we'll hear all the stories we need to hear. I'm looking forward to that, folks. Come on, let's stand. <clears throat> Praise the name of the Lord. All you lovely folks out there in parking lotville, just want to remind you, if you have a few moments, we still want to try to move a few items, if you're able, out of that room over there in the other building. But let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us as you have loved us, for caring for us the way you've cared for us. Thank you for preserving our families, keeping sickness away from our homes. We know that presently many millions of people are in need of prayer because they're fighting all kinds of viruses, diseases, and other things like that. But Father, we pray for everybody represented under the sound of my voice. I'm asking you to put a special hedge of protection around them. Keep them healthy, keep them whole. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. One